Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Baxi's Musical Podcast. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to it, like it, share it with everyone you know, even complete strangers like new stuff. And if you can leave a big fat review, that would be awesome, too. Also, make sure you check out Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook for regular updates of what's coming up in future episodes. Today's episode is brought to you by Metro Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram in Chicopee. Visit Metro's state-of-the-art dealership right near BJ's and Big Y Memorial Drive in Chicopee or visit MetroJeep.com and drive home in your new Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram today. Now let's begin. Let me tell you about the worst thing that's ever happened to music. No, it wasn't Napster. It wasn't AI. It wasn't the fine print from the Columbia House Record and Tape Club. It wasn't even the day that MTV decided to check out of the music business. It was the day that someone decided that music needed rules. It was the day when someone decided that things can only be one way and that only a certain kind of person can play a certain kind of music and that to cross-pollinate between genres and cultures is somehow a bad thing. It's not. In fact, great music is great music regardless of rules or where it comes from. For example, we have a tendency to segregate music based upon unfounded notions of race and culture, as if it would be wrong to have both Metallica and Marvin Gaye in the same record collection. These so-called rules come from this false notion that only good music is the stuff that you listen to, not the stuff that someone else listens to. The truth is that music is often about the individual making it, and that the best music usually reflects how that person sees the world, themselves, and their environment. My guest today is Rain Lafreniere from the band Blueforia. Blueforia is a band that was formed by a couple of students at the University of Oregon. Their debut album is a blend of blues, alternative, and psychedelic rock. It was released to exceptional reviews. It's a multicultural band that isn't particularly interested in what you think they should be playing. This is simply a band that plays what they love, and the record totally captures that. Again, who needs rules? Who's in charge here? When it comes to Blueforia, the band is the one calling the shots, which is really the way it should be. This is my conversation with Rain Lafreniere from Blueforia on Baxi's musical podcast. Hey, how you doing? Good, Rain. How you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Congratulations on the new record. There's, there's, just, I mean, there's so much to like about it, and been listening to it for you know the last couple of days really getting into it and then you know realizing that you know there's a bunch of singles that you guys had released over the last couple of years from like 2019 and then suddenly just as things start to, to come together there's this gigantic worldwide pandemic in the way of things for you that seemed to kind of solidify a direction for you guys tell me a little bit about that yeah no um as horrible as the pandemic was it, it was a good reset for us we were able to like sit down and actually focus on our music and um, focus on the kind of music we wanted to make, the kind of people we wanted to be. Because during that time, you know, we were playing like three shows a week. Mm. And most of the songs that we were playing to the audiences were just songs we knew were, were going to get them jumping around, which doesn't always translate to like recording something, sure. you know. And um, 
when we were able to, you know, at first we thought it was just going to be two weeks, like everyone was telling us, you know, and then, um, <laughs> and then when we finally realized, oh, we're going to be sitting and, and just, we're not going to see a crowd for <laughs> the foreseeable future, you know, sure. that's when we were like, we focus on, you know, making music that we like and, and, and that can impact people, whether they're in an audience or at home. You guys, uh, you all met at the the University of Oregon in in Eugene, which is uh, a city not necessarily known for a great deal of diversity. But but there you are. Tell me about that, and how did you guys find each other in, in Eugene, Oregon? Yeah, it was honestly uh, quite coincidental. Um, I met Dakota first off because um, Eugene's not known for its you know diversity necessarily. So <laughs> I was at this um, house show, and um, I saw him walk in he saw me and he goes, Hey, another black guy. And we, we, <laughs> we met up, we got talking and, um, he told me he played guitar and uh, we set up a jam pretty soon after. And we had like a three piece going with a buddy of ours that was on drums and Rex actually showed up, uh, to one of our shows. We have like a picture of him just gawking at like me playing behind my back or something. And, um, like the next two days he was in the band too. Uh, I desperately needed a bassist, so I was bored in French class, and I just saw his name pop up, and it just said musician, and I was, like, praying. I was like, please, 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 I hope he plays bass. I click on his his account, and it's all these, like, Instagram-filtered pictures of basses on his bed and stuff, and I was like, okay, <laughs> my guy right here. <laughs> but you found each other, and my understanding of how this goes is it actually goes pretty quickly, that, that you guys got the attention of uh, Edge Out Records fairly early on. Tell me a little bit about that process. How did they hear about you, and, and how did that signing go? It was it was very bizarre, because uh, we I had multiple run-ins with Universal while I was out in Oregon, uh, just playing house shows out there, and then um, uh, I did an event where they were hosting big college events. Little Yachty was playing at our school and we had to get a bunch of votes to open for him. Um, so I was doing that. And then I got in contact with Edge Out probably a couple, like a few months before um, I actually met Dakota and them. Cause I was, I was, I pretty much had a jam band that I was doing and they saw all the videos of me playing behind my back and with my teeth. And, um, and so we just had a lot of communication and they were telling me if you put a band together that's that's with it to um to do this uh just let us know and we'll we'll sign you when you're ready so we had a lot of correspondence and and that's kind of why covid helped a lot is because it allowed us to like sit and focus on like how do we become more professional how do we focus this into like a business and like get their attention um do better on social media and all that it probably benefited uh, the record company too, just to you know, to take the time to yeah. kind of nurture a new talent or something they have a, a good deal of you know, respect for and and potential. I mean, that I'm, I'm sure it helped everybody. They got they got the no. Um, there's uh, low risk for them just to give us tips and watch us grow, and then it was great for us because you know we didn't have any like necessarily any like strong ties, but we we got to learn from them. You yeah. know, so it was a good deal. You guys moved from Eugene and, and are now stationed in Nashville, which, you know, if you're going to be stationed anywhere, Music City is probably the place to go. Tell me about yeah. that transition, though. I mean, that's a that's a pretty abrupt change from going from one end of the country to now someplace like like Nashville, where there's a lot of eyes on you all the time. Yeah, it uh, it became apparent after a few years 
in Oregon that we needed to move to like a, a bigger pond per se. And those options for me were, was either LA or Nashville and I'm a Californian. So I already knew I didn't want to live in LA. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I love that. like that city's cool. It's just, uh, it's just, it's too big for me. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so we elected Nashville. We, we recorded our album out there and that's partially what, um, helped us make that decision. Cause I didn't know anything about Tennessee really until going there to record. And it was a cool city. There was like, everybody was super nice and collaborative. Like everyone wants to work together out there. And that's kind of what moved the dial for us. And on top of the fact that Nashville's, um, surrounded like within like three or four hours by multiple major cities. Sure. Um, sense from like a touring perspective too, to like have that as a home base. Um, Cause in the West coast, you start a tour, you're going to have to drive eight to nine hours to the <laughs> closest city sometimes, you know? So it really was more about fuel economy than anything else. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was scrolling around on, on YouTube over the weekend and I, I came across this, uh, this thing you did back in 2018. It was a Ted talk. And, uh, the, the title of it was Music is Identity, and I thought it was really interesting, and for, and for a couple of reasons. The, the first of which was, is how you came to this understanding about the process of, of letting music come to you in terms of songwriting as opposed to you chasing after it. Tell me about, about that, if you can, and, and you know, has your approach to songwriting since 2018 changed, or is that pretty much where you, you still kind of fall? Yeah, that's pretty much where I still reside. Like I said in that, that TED Talk, I, you know, I still try to fight it. You know, I'm still like, oh, I want to do this. You know, I want to try this. And <laughs> at the end of the day, it's like, I feel like music is something that is a reaction to my life around me, you know, so I can't, I can't force a reaction. I, I have to just live, be in places and then, and then, and create these songs because of it. Um, and, uh, that's kind of what I was struggling with a lot at 18. And since I'm still young, I still didn't listen to my 18 year old self. And I'm still learning that lesson every day that it's just <laughs> like, you know, I gotta, I gotta let it come to me. Cause most of the songs on our album or that we've gone forward with, we kind of have this rule that if it doesn't come to it, like if, if we bring the bare bones to the band and it doesn't come naturally to us, it, that we, we put it back into the back burners until, it keeps coming up again, you know, and yeah. those typically are the best songs. Like if I come, come with a song and I'm like, ah, it just doesn't sound right. Let's leave it alone for now. Yeah. And I can't get that song out of my, it, then, then we work on it. it, it it's funny. It's, you know, how like our most creative moments tend to get guided when we're least thinking about it. And, uh, mm. you know, I've talked to a number of you know songwriters and they all kind of say the same thing that the best songs that they write are the ones that they're not ready for. And it, that it's, it comes to them as opposed to, them going out and saying, today I'm going to write a song. Those moments are never productive as the accidental ones that are productive. And it, it seems to be somewhat of a blessing and a curse at the same time. I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but a lot of other songwriters do. It, it definitely is. Cause sometimes when I'm like, I, you know, I'm like, I'm already ready to write a new album. Let me just do that. And I'm like, ah, no, can't rush into it. Gotta, <laughs> gotta let it come to me. But I do have a lot of songs that I feel were album ready, ready that are in my catalog. I'm just waiting to, to release them. And so because I had such a long correspondence with Edge Out before releasing this album, it's allowed me to get a little bit of a, a treasure chest of, sure. <laughs> of songs. And so 
you know, so I can relax and let the new ones come to me. The other part of the TED Talk, which I also thought was really interesting, and uh, and I don't know if we really if people really talk enough about this, but I think it's kind of important how you know we allow perceptions and 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 stereotypes to kind of dictate what we're supposed to listen to and and what we're not supposed to listen to, and uh, there's a resistance that that sometimes comes a- along with that, especially you know when we're kind of focusing on the things that we're the most passionate about, and and that's not only about the music that you make, but it's also sometimes about the music that people expect you to make. Because to me, like the worst thing you could do for any form of expression is to place a lot of rules and, and restrictions upon it. And and for someone who has felt that kind of that kind of hesitation and, and pushback, that's got to be kind of frustrating to do what you do and still face all of that at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's a it definitely is a, a struggle. And I feel like there's a lot of people that look like me and feel like me around this country who I you know I. When I was young, I really wanted to make R and B. I really wanted to make, you know, rap music. And it's just like that's not the that's not what comes naturally to me. And um I was raised on a very eclectic music taste around my house and uh like, you know, nineties hip hop to to CCR to to Lord Hill, you know, and, and and at the end of the day, it's an injustice to myself and I I'd say it's an injustice to anybody who like feels as though they need to do a certain type of expression. You sure. Know? It's, uh, it, it should be a hundred percent you. It shouldn't feel wrong. And, um, yeah, I, <laughs> did I answer your question? I no, I think, I, I think you did. And I, I think what's important to, to note about it is, you know, there's been a lot of, for lack of a better, uh, you know, phrase, a lot of, you know, crossover artists who have, you know, kind of faced the same thing you know, Sly Stone, Gary Clark Jr., Lenny Kravitz, you know, Fishbone, Bad Brains, Hendrix, uh, Living Color. You know, to me, they're not great artists because they happen to belong to one culture or another. They're great artists because they're incredible musicians that make great music. And I think we sometimes tend to forget that's really what the most important thing is here. It's not that I'm I'm white or you're black. It's just like it's music. It's It's an international language that we all share and you know wherever our passion goes that's that's the kind of music we should be making i i I totally agree with that and um yeah it's just interesting i feel like we're getting we're slowly getting better with that in terms of or at least i've gotten less backlash as i've gone along that just might be because i've put so many (laughs) so many years and hours into into the kind of music i make at this point you know nobody's really talking back to me but yeah i i i'd um I'd really encourage anybody who does face that similar criticism to just keep having a go at it. You yeah. Know? Because if that's the music you make, then there's a reason you make it and good things will come of it. If you continue to do that. I want to talk about the album a little bit. And it was, you know, just released, you know, last spring and uh, Mark Needham was the producer on that record. And, you know, this is the guy, you know, who has been, you know, his resume is amazing. And he's been nominated for a bunch of Grammys with, you know, like Fleetwood Mac and Chris Isaac, The Killers, Dolly Parton, Pink, Shakira. I mean, the list is endless. Tell me about working with a guy like that on your very first record. That had to be unbelievable. It was it was definitely mind-blowing. He, I went into that studio thinking I was going to be super nervous, but he's just got such a, like, a calming presence. He's just a good guy, and... When we when we got in there, it was very much no judgment, no, like he didn't use his experience his experience against us. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more like he let us play play through everything we were thinking about, and 
he he let his experience guide us more so and um and it was really helpful it, it helped a lot of songs kind of become the best versions of themselves because his main rule was if we we're ever like arguing over something like oh it should be like this or it should you know the bridge should drop down or any dynamics he, he would just stop and he'd be like hey let's try it all we'll record it all whichever is better that's the one we're taking yeah and and that's kind of just how we wrote that album and I feel like if we had any other guy for our first album, it would have been a completely different experience, you know? Um, and we're blessed to have him. He, he, yeah, he was, he was great. How did you wind up getting him? I mean, that's, you know, that's a pretty, it's a pretty good get for a brand new band. Yeah. We, uh, I was, um, looking around, um, just reaching out to a lot of producers, me and me and the label and, um, uh, the label reached out to me and they said they got a connection with Mark, um, in that he wanted to call me. And so I, I remember I was in my friend's backyard at the time. I was like, Mark Needham, like, that sounds so familiar. And I look him up and I'm like, oh, like, this guy <laughs> wants to call me, you know? Um, so I call him and he, 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 first thing he says, he, or he just, he, we say hi or whatever. First thing he says after that is literally like, so what do you want the album to be? And, and so I tell him, I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking of this and, he was like, yeah, I agree. That would be fun to do. And he, he, he mainly was just like, I really like the music, the bare bones you guys got already. And he just wanted to kind of be a shepherd and, and making it the best it could be. That's actually great that that happened. Cause I mean, you sometimes hear stories about how, you know, a producer really wants to put their own stamp on it. And again, you know, it's the worst thing you can do, but you know, to expression and creativity is kind of try to mold somebody against their will and place restrictions on it. I mean, to, to walk in with your your first full length record and to have that kind of freedom and have that kind of guidance from a guy who's just interested in drawing the best out of you and following your artistic vision, man, you couldn't have you couldn't have hit a bigger jackpot <laughs> if you tried. Yeah, it was it was amazing. I, I still can't believe that happened to this day. You know, now that it's like been so long, I'm like, oh, you know, did that happen or am I just making this up right now? <laughs> there's a uh, there's a great you know, retro vibe, uh, to the album. And I, you know, I totally love the, the opening track set me up. I thought it was a great, great song really like walk through the fire, but the new single Columbia, I think is a really, is a real standout track. I mean, it's very different from you know some of the other songs on the record. Tell me a little bit about that song and, and, and what's that all about? Yeah, it's, um, Columbia was, uh, it, Dakota brought that to us, uh, one day and, when I first heard that chorus, you know, I was like, okay, this is something, you know, like this is a, this is a good song. So we, we worked on it for a while and, and, and made some changes. And then um, we really fought to have it on the album because it was so different from everything else. Uh, There's a lot of tentativeness to like throwing it in there because it, it kind of has like a doorsy, like sleazier vibe to it. And that was something we really like. And, it, and it, it's something we really like, especially live. Um, we end our set with that most of the time. And it's really just like a leaving everything there um, sort of song. And it's it's also very impactful because a lot of these songs have specific stories behind them, like why they're written, like Pretty People for Me, example. And then um, and then Columbia, you know, like it, it's wild to be to be there <laughs> when you know, like it's wild to be present in somebody's life when you know they're writing a song about that. And you're like, ah, this is like history, you know. Right. And so we can bring all the emotion out. And, and together, just just make that the best song it can be. I think that's one of the things that I like you know, most about the about the record, and and certainly about your your voice and 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 the, the way the songs are are arranged and everything. 
there's a lot of emotion in how these songs are performed. And that's not something that a lot of 22, 23-year-old young men are figuring out on their first record. It's something they may develop after, you know, record number three. You seem to kind of grasp you know, a, a hold of that pretty quickly. Like you, know, like, you knew this is exactly how you wanted this to go. And yeah, definitely. I, uh, like I said, because of the fact that we let the music come to us, that means that there's usually uh, events that the music is rooted in. Um, and every time I play these shows live, it just, you know, takes me back to that specific thing. And, 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 uh, um, and it, it's, it's very impactful in that sense. And I remember there's one, one time I was recording one of these demos and I can't remember who told me this. It might've been like a friend of mine or like the producer we were on, or I was recording, I was alone in the vocal booth with him. It was like 2 AM and he's like, He's like, music is like an acting performance. He was like, you need to convince me of what you're singing. And I was like, okay, you know, like, I get that. Um, I don't know exactly what you're talking about, though. And he's like, you know, because <laughs> for Set Me Up, for example, he's like, you're saying set me up. Tell me what I did to mess it up. Make me feel like you're angry about that. And I was like, okay. So I just kind of, it's kind of a, a, lesson, a lesson in acting <laughs> as well as, you know, as well as just remembering the times that put me in the headspace to make that song, you know. See, and I think that, and I think that shows because when I, when I heard that song I and mean, I hear you kind of growling through it, and I'm thinking that's that's pretty awesome the way uh, the way you you attach that emotion to that song. You could you could very easily yeah. have not done that, and it wouldn't have been half the song. Yeah, I remember when I first brought that to the band. It was honestly like a slow indie rock song, kind of like it was like really just like set me up <laughs> tell me what i did and and marcus he heard that demo and he was like you're gonna have to like give it give it your all like let's yeah. make that a gritty song you know in listening to your other stuff i found myself really liking the song conscientious debauchery a lot been the song i know it's been out for a while but damn that's just a cool damn song with maybe the greatest title yeah. i've heard in years tell me about that song because i think that's uh that's a real gem yeah we love that song it's um the title is the funniest part. It was based off this, um, we all got this like Instagram party invite, you know, and it was like, we got this DM and this guy was hosting this like late night party. And he said that uh, the party was going to be centered around conscientious debauchery. And we were like, what does that mean? You know, <laughs> like, I was like, I want to check it out. And everyone else was like, I don't know. Like, it sounds weird, dude. You know, like what is what's going on there? And, um, you know, we kind of just made, I actually remember the day we wrote it. It was, it was like a week after COVID we went out into um, a cabin in the middle of the woods. Cause we were like, Oh, it's the apocalypse. Like, let's get away from the city. You know, <laughs> we're living, living our dream out there. I go out to the grocery store. Cause I heard Dakota teaching the band, like this song he had. And it was like, it was straight time punk and the same chords as con conscientious debauchery. But when I got back, they were playing it for me just the just the chords of it and um and that little like uh that riff he had and i was like hold on hold on, hold on. i'm like let's cut that like give it give it benny and the jets a little bit you know like make it bounce <laughs> and then they start doing that dakota's looking around like ah like what like what is this like this isn't the song i just brought and i was like hold on hold on i start singing you know those lyrics over we wrote that song in probably like 30 minutes since i when i returned um and it was like you know, 
I, I, I literally told him, I was like, let's just think about that party that we got invited to and let's, let's make a song about it. You know, um, the favorite for everybody. We, we all love that song. It's a great, it's a great, great song. You, you've been on tour for the last, uh, you know, for a little bit. Tell me about playing live and, and touring with the, with a, with all this new material and a, and a debut album. Does that make it difficult to come across to a, to an audience or are they understanding of it and, and really getting into it? Yeah, I um I always feel after like I don't even know how many shows we've done now, like fifteen or something like that. That like, you know, there's got to be a show where I'm not entirely there, you know, because like the show will I'll, I'll I'll be about to go on stage and I'm tired. I'm like ah, I can't give it up my I can't give it my all tonight. But the the songs require that, you know, like the yeah. bare minimum. We start off that with set me up pretty much, and it requires you know that full energy into it and um. I feel like it translates every night. We try to bring it every night and, um, and people, people seem to respond to that positively. So, um, yeah, I'm still waiting for the show where I, I sing my soft indie ballad version of set me up, you know, <laughs> since I'm so tired, but <laughs> it hasn't come yet. Yeah. But I mean, the, the, the songs kind of lend themselves now when you, it, it's almost impossible to even imagine you doing anything less than that hundred percent emotionally when you're, when you're singing that song the, the material certainly must help you at least a little bit it, it definitely does i i definitely next time we write the right now i should take uh, i should chill out a little bit <laughs> <laughs> well rain it's been a real pleasure to talk to you like i said the the record is is terrific i think you guys do a great job uh with it I wish you best of luck with the tour and i can't wait to see what comes up next with the band thank you for having me it's it's been a pleasure absolutely rain best of luck thank you very much thank you the new self-titled debut album from Blueforia is out now. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe to it, like it, review it, and tell all your friends about it. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. You can also email me at backsofrock102.com. I'd love to hear what you think. Thanks to Metro, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram, and Chickabee for their support. And thank you for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.